0: We have just seen a dramatic presentation that comes straight out of the story in Acts chapter 16 verses 25 to 40. It's one of the best known and most loved stories to be found in the entire Bible. It's about um, a man who once was a a Roman soldier and near the end of his career had been reassigned to be a a jailer in in a Roman prison. And we hear about this man unexpectedly coming to faith in Jesus and having his life changed and his whole family's life transformed. It, it's, it's a beautiful story uh, about what God does. And he does it all the time. He's done it in my life and maybe in yours as well. But in this one, of course, he sent this earthquake while these two Jewish men were there in prison. And it was powerful enough to break their prison chains and to open the prison doors. And amazingly, these men were compassionate about the very guy who had tortured them. And they had the favor of all the people around them. They kept the—they not only stayed in the prison because he would have killed himself, but, but they kept the others there in the prison as well. And out of that, one of the most beautiful, powerful churches in all the world came to be. Now, Christians have loved this story. It's been told and retold all over the world, throughout history. And so we've had it again. But I'll tell you, when you just look at that story, isolated from what's around it, doesn't it raise a lot of questions? Are there any questions? I'll tell you the ones you should have had. Here they are. First, what were these Jewish men doing in Philippi in the first place? There were no Jewish men there. This was an all-Roman city. So what were they doing there? Second, what were Christians doing in a jail? I mean, had they been speeding? I mean, what, what are these Christians doing in a jail? And then the, the biggest issue is, how did this religion that was rooted in the Jewish people... What, what did it have to offer to a, a Roman soldier and jailer and to his family? I mean, what connection is there there? And I'll tell you, those uh, questions take us all the way back through the entire beautiful book of Acts. Where Luke, who was here in Philippi for this happening, wrote to us about the fact that God has a work that wasn't going to reach just the Jewish people, but God wants to do something to reach all people. I mean, even as far as Pasadena, California, miracle of miracles, that is God's work. And especially it pulls us back to the message I did last week in Acts chapter 15, where already the message was breaking out from its usual boundaries among just the Jewish people and had been making it into all sorts of other people groups. And that was sort of frightening to those early Jewish Christians. And they began asking the normal questions. What do we have to hold on to from the past? What parts of all these laws that we had do we have to keep holding on to? And they had met there and clarified the things that bind all Christians throughout history and all around the world. They clarified what those things are. And and the message that, that you get is this the good news that comes from God through Jesus never changes, it never changes. But but the way it's going to actually play out in lives and the way it's going to look in different churches and different cultures, that is going to change a great deal. And so what we're going to see today is just a natural part of that. What was clarified there at a Jerusalem council about what is in the good news that all people have to believe made a huge difference in a city of Philippi. And we're going to see three very different people. They're about as different as we are here. Three very different people to whom the good news of Jesus comes and how it breaks into their lives. So let's pull back to that Acts 15. I I call it the divine butterfly effect. Physicists and engineers, you'll you'll know what this is. Um, and, And the point is that a wise decision, and it might have seemed like a small decision, made in one place, remote place, can have a huge impact that changes the world. Do you believe that? So back in Acts 15... We saw that early church leaders coming together as the church was growing into Samaritan areas and into Gentile areas. They came together to try to nail down. All right. What is it that all believers have to believe and and all believers have to do? And last week I pointed out a couple of things. I'll remind you of two of them. Number one. They said that here's how uh, God enters into lives. People are saved not by works. Now we say that so often in a church. You don't realize how different that is from other religions It's not by keeping a lot of laws that somehow we become good enough to make it to God. We're not going to be saved by works, but it is by God's grace. I mean, it's just a gift that God, and it's received by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what all believers believe. And when you meet somebody who has surrendered his or her life to Jesus, you find somebody who's been made alive to God. Has been saved. I hope you remember that point that the Apostle Peter made. To the other Jewish believers. Some of them not wanting that to be. Wanting to say well that and all the other stuff. And he said you know we Jewish people. Peter said. Have never been able to earn our ways to God. By keeping the law. Why should we put that yoke on Gentiles. Now that God has declared that he cleanses us. And he receives us all. By faith. Remember Peter making that point? Then the second, the second part that they nailed down was this. That then all people who receive Christ. Receive the indwelling presence of God's spirit. That God comes into those who receive Christ. And it happens when we place our faith in him. So if you remember Peter. The apostle Peter. The apostle Paul. Uh, and Barnabas. Gave testimonies as, as to what they would seen. They said listen. When Jewish people. In Acts 2, received Jesus. The Holy Spirit came into their lives. God came into their lives and made himself known. Then in Acts chapter 8, when these people who were partly Jewish and partly not Jewish, the Samaritans, received Jesus by faith. The Holy Spirit, God, came into their lives. And then the miracle of miracles. People like most of us, uh, non-Jewish people, Gentiles. In Acts chapter 11, when people received Jesus by faith, God came into their lives. The Spirit of God was there. And the point that they made was, if God Himself chooses to come and dwell within people, who are we to say that, that we can deny that they belong to God if God has already declared that, that we do? So, so here's the point I want to make today. Uh, that this decision to clarify these main points about the gospel was nailed down with a a gathering of people with all Jewish men. Um, And they were even sort of a minority group among their people because they were following Jesus. And and it wasn't in the main cultural shaping centers of the world, which would have been Rome and Alexandria. So this wasn't like Hollywood or Washington, D.C., No, this is back in Jerusalem, uh, uh, still a a city in a country that was under the yoke of Rome. And yet that decision made by that kind of people in a small group has made a huge decision happen. So that the gospel can even make it to us here in Southern California. It's still you and me that when we receive Jesus by faith, our sins are forgiven and we're made alive to God and God gives his spirit to us. Do you see that? I call it the divine butterfly effect. And, and some of you, even if you're not a physicist, um, you know that movie from the 1990s sometimes. Sometime, and it's based upon chaos theory. Uh, the idea that everything is uh, through senses or through material ways are, are connected. That there's a codependency. So that, um, so that what you have is if, if something as small as a butterfly flaps its wings in one way. It has an effect that, that changes enormous things. And, and the Bible says that's essentially right. That, that, uh, that if, we make a small, if you make a small decision to honor God or to seek God, that that small decision to do what God would have you to do can have an enormous effect that God will use all over the world. Uh, so here I've written this down for you. So that God is personally involved in this world. Again, I'll ask, do you believe that, that God is here, not just there, but present? God is personally involved in the world, and he's involved in this sort of a way, that your faithfulness uh, to obey him uh, is going to lead to God doing things that you could never imagine him doing. And so what God's call upon your life today to do is to seek to obey him even in the small things. Even when you think it's not going to make a big difference, when you do it to honor Him, you won't even be able to fathom how He's going to be able to use it. And that's what we're going to see as we come to these three stories. Uh, this thing that happened in Jerusalem begins making a huge difference as we get to the city of Philippi. So we are three stories. Story number one, a woman named Lydia. Lydia's story. And here's what I see. That the, God's gospel fulfills that we, we have a woman here who has a longing, but her real longing like your longing and everybody's longing as people made in God's image is for God to come in. That's where it all starts and that's what happens. So let me tell you, Acts 16, 1 through 10, after the Jerusalem council, uh, Paul wanted to go to um, Asia to carry the message of Jesus. But God in the vision wouldn't let him go where he wanted to go. <laughs> So he he was sent him to to Europe instead. I have a picture of it just so you can sort of see what, what's, what's going on here. Um, I do have a map. 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 <laughs> Aha! It was worth waiting for, wasn't it? Look up here. So you see you see Philippi up there. Uh, just it's the biggest one written. Paul wanted to go to Istanbul, and it is beautiful, but he had to go to Philippi. So you make note of that. That isn't where he would have chosen to go. That's where he that city of Philippi was a relatively new city. Uh the emperor of the time Caesar Augustus was building outposts because he wanted to take over the world and this was one of the cities that he had chosen. Uh, Philippi. So what he had done is he had provided incentives for people like former soldiers and their families to repopulate there in Philippi. So mostly you had Roman citizens and, and former former military people there in Philippi. Uh, so that's the city they went into. So here you, you've just got to imagine what took place. Here goes um, Paul and his Jewish uh, colleague Silas. And then Luke was there who wrote the book. He, he was with them. Go get into Philippi. It's not where they wanted to go. And uh, what do you do when you get into a city like that? Oh, here we are. Uh, God sent us here. Uh, we have no money. Uh, we have no connections, no friends. What, what would you do? We probably would look for Christians or look for a church. So, so what, I'll tell you what Paul did. He did one thing that would have come so natural to him. And one thing that was just an act of faith, it it was not at all what he would have come naturally to him. The thing that he did that came naturally to him was he went and looked for a Jewish synagogue. Because whenever Paul went to a place, that's always where he went. Because we like to go where we can find some connections. So he went to look for one. But then, lo and behold, there were too few Jewish men in Philippi to be able to have a synagogue. To have a synagogue in the city, you had to have ten men. And apparently there weren't even that many Jewish men in the entire city. So he had to ask around. And he got some sort of a tip. But there are some of these people worshiping that, that Jehovah God. But they have to meet outside the city. So you had to go outside the gate, out by the river. And it's called a place of prayer. And you can read about that. The place of prayer was a place when they didn't have enough Jewish people to have a synagogue. So people gathered still to worship God. So they went out to this remote area outside the city to have a place of prayer and that brings us to the thing that Paul had to do that wouldn't have come naturally to him. And women, you won't like this, but I've got to tell you, you'll like what he did. You won't like, like, when he went to that place of prayer, not only did he not find ten men, he found no men. There were only women there. So what was he going to do? Now, I've got to tell you something. Paul was a Pharisee. And many of the Pharisees believed that women couldn't even be educated. They couldn't learn. And, and, and Pharisees believed that no rabbi that was worth anything, who was credible, would ever teach God's law, God's ways, to women. So here we go. Paul goes there. What, what does he do? Uh, I love verse 13. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. I got one amen, two. <laughs> See, we're so far culturally apart, you don't realize what a big decision of faith this was. I doubt that these Jewish men, Christian men, could have ever imagined what God was going to do through them simply being faithful to do what wouldn't have come naturally to them. Now, one of the women at that place of prayer was a remarkable woman named Lydia. Uh, She's called a worshiper of God. And that term, a worshiper of God, was a term that was used for a person who had grown up in a, a polytheist home, a home where people thought that there were many gods, but really sensed that there must only be one. And so this person is seeking for God. Often they, they sought after the God of the Bible, Jehovah, because they thought this group believes in one God. Um, and, so, and so she was there. Uh, Matt Barnes from our church calls her a sojourner, and I like that term. It means in her journey, um, she had somehow come to the point of sensing there is a God. But she didn't know God personally. So she was seeking after knowing him. And so here we go. One God that she believes in. She doesn't know God. And notice this too. That decision that was made back in Acts 15. in the Jerusalem council. Open up the door. For Peter and Silas. Or for Paul and Silas. To go and talk to her about Jesus. Because remember the decision. The Jew, Samaritan, Gentile. Young and old. Rich and poor. Man and woman. What you have to do to come alive to God is to respond to Jesus, to give your life to him, turn from your sins and and trust Jesus as your savior. And then God will give himself to you. And so that's what they did. They taught them, they told her to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and she believed and then her family believed and then she she invited them over to her home. And I'll tell you, I, I think um, I know Lydia I think we have some Lydias right here in the church. Look, look at verse uh, 15. So when she and the members of her household were baptized, uh, she invited us over to her home, and she said, "If you consider me a believer in the Lord," she said, "come and stay at my house." And she persuaded us. It's a real strong term. I, I just picture her as a woman you can't say no to. Do any of you know a person like her? I grew up in that home where where Lydia was. Now, when you, Lydia was probably a quite wealthy woman. I wore purple so, so that you could see with the seller of purple. As I think about Lydia, uh, she would be a person like would own a very successful boutique in Beverly Hills. And so the Chamber of Commerce of Pasadena wants her to open up a shop right here. She was successful. Now she'd had a hard life. I think um, she was either widowed or divorced. So she was the head of her house. So here here we have it. A very wealthy, successful woman. Before she came to know Jesus, she was was a leader. She was a person who could connect people. So a a strong individual. Now that she's come to know, know Jesus, those gifts are still there, except now they're surrendered to Jesus. And she opens up her home. She brings them over, and the church begins there. We, we see that later on when the third person comes to know Christ, that's where the church meets. And it becomes one of the most powerful churches of all. When I think about Lydia, here's what I think. And maybe you are like a Lydia or maybe you know many Lydias. A person who in almost every way is successful, but there is still a hole in the life. Do you know that all human beings, all human beings, every one of us and everyone you meet has been made for God to come into the center of their beings? We're made for God. And all of her success in her career and with her possessions couldn't fill that place in her life. That's what she was longing for. And the gospel, the same gospel, when it spoke to Lydia, she said, that's what I've been made for. The gospel of God fulfills that whole. And I just keep thinking many people, I believe, go to a church like ours. Because you, like Lydia, just know that there has to be more to live for than just material things and just financial success. There's got to be more. Don't you know that? And you might be here just knowing that there is a God, but, but He's never really come into the center. You're not alive to Him. And the Apostle Paul and I, I in his place stand here and tell you, God is ready to come into your life. I have good news for you. You don't earn your way to Him. You couldn't do that anyway. That He has come to you. Jesus came. He gave His life in your place. What He asks you to do is to surrender your past and failures to Him and ask Him to cleanse you and to give your life and ask Him to rescue you. And then you come alive to Him. And I tell you, I think when we leave church today, you're going to meet a lot of Lydia's. Don't you think? Do you know some? That Sometimes the person you think is least likely to respond to God, I'm telling you, that person has been made for God. If they haven't come alive to Him, they're still, whether they'll admit it or not, there's a, there's a place there that God has created them, them that only God can fill. What I, what I want you and me to learn to do is when you see people, even if they may seem to be resistant, sit down for a while, talk, look for an opportunity to tell about Jesus. And where you're simply faithful, God will do more than you ever could imagine. Uh, I've got to keep going. Story number two. I call it the slave girl story. So if God filled in Lydia, fulfilled her, here God's gospel sets free. So in verses 16 to 21, Paul and Silas and Luke kept going back to that place of prayer and teaching those new believers. And this brought them into another unanticipated divine appointment. Um... So so I want you to notice this before I read that story in verses 16 to 18. If Paul had not chosen to go to Philippi um, only because God led him, this would not have happened. Uh, If God had not if Paul had not chosen to make that hard decision to speak to those women that other uh, Pharisees would never have spoken to. This would not have happened if he hadn't valued those new believers enough to go back over and over again then this would not have happened. See, these small decisions have huge, huge impact. And so I'll tell you what happened. Here it goes. Verse 16. Once, when we were going down to the place of prayer, Luke writes, we were met by a female slave um, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Sounds good, huh? She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, uh, the spirit left her. Now, I've got to tell you something about this slave girl. uh, A slave in the ancient the Roman world wasn't like slavery in the United States. Usually slavery was when uh, an individual or perhaps their family had gotten into financial debt. And so a person sold himself or herself into slavery to try to pay off that debt. Conceptually, uh, a person, if you'd work enough, you should be able to pay off that debt and be set free. But the problem is once you had indebted yourself as a slave to a person, you had to do whatever they said. And you can imagine the systems, can't you, that kept that person uh, in slavery and kept those, especially if they made money like like this girl does. Homer, in some of his stories, writes about slave girls. He says they're usually very beautiful. Uh, They were valued only for the money they made. And they usually ended up in prostitution. So she didn't have a very good future. So when I... Think about her. I think she's so different from Lydia. Lydia could control everything. She couldn't control anything. Lydia was able to make money. She made money, but only for other people. Uh, but the, but she did have this ability. And, and the, the word that the sp- word for spirit uh, that Luke uses is, 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 is pythonic spirit. It's it's not from God. It's it's an occultish spirit. But like like the demons in Mark chapter 1, do you remember who who were able to declare who Jesus was? The spirit in her knew who these men were. These men are representing the Most High God. And they are coming to tell you the way of salvation. But the way she did it didn't draw anybody to Jesus. It just drove people off. And it happened day after day after day. I've tried to put myself in uh, Paul's shoes. And it says, eventually, after all many days of this, he just became annoyed. And I just need to tell you something about that word. It was never used positively in the ancient world. He, he was irritated. So in his exhaustion, in his irritation, in his weakness, God used him anyway. That gives hope to me. Doesn't that give hope to you? So, so he turns, and, and in the name of Jesus, rightly, he sets her free from the demon. So, we see He can set us free. Now, the hard part is that the questions I now have about this girl, the Bible doesn't give us any answers to them. What what kind of questions? Well, I'll tell you my questions. Did she become a Christian or not? Read it through. It doesn't tell you. Did she join that church? And I become concerned about her. What happened with her slave owners? Did they set her free? The Bible doesn't tell us anything that we wonder about about this this girl. But as you might imagine, because I'm not the first one to ask that question, brothers and sisters who were uh, in the church have filled in that story. And the traditions tell us, I don't know if it's true, it's not in the Bible, but the tradition tells us that she came to faith in Jesus. So she was set free from that spirit. Uh, She was also set free to come to know God. So she she joined the church. And joined the church that met at Lydia's home, Lydia stepped in and paid off her debt so that she was set financially free, free from slavery, free from her sins. It has such the ring of truth that I'm going to take it that it is true, okay? Here was a, a woman of God, here was a, a woman made in the image of God who the only value she had in the eyes of the world was the money she made for the, her slave owners. As such, I began to to see the kind of life that is. Uh, You know, we have similar things that can happen. It's a little bit different. Uh, But there are many people who have gone into a firm and have been very successful for a very successful firm. But then that person hits a certain point in his or her life where time has passed by, technology, communications, things have changed. And the firm has said, enough of you. Really valued only for the money that they made for others. You know, you can be a CEO, And it feels like that, too, where my only role is to make enough money to be able to pay those. And sometimes we find our identity in that and our name cards that says, you know, big cheese, nobody goes above me. And I provide the salaries for all of you and your families. But the moment when you're not that anymore, then who are you? Who are you? You know what we as human beings need? We need an identity that nothing in this world can take away. And that's what Jesus gives us. When the gospel speaks into our lives, it sets us free from having to live for things that can't last. Amen? It sets us free to tell us that there is nothing, nothing in this world or in any other world that can separate us from the love of God for you that comes in Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's the identity that we need and that's the way the gospel spoke into this young woman's life. It's the same gospel. A very different kind of a person. The gospel just filled in a longing that Lydia had. Uh, In this one, he set her free so that she could live. Uh, I better hurry. Third person that we meet. This is where we get at last to the the great dramatic uh, presentation that we had. The jailer's story. And for him, I say God's good news rescues uh, when you're in trouble. So that's the most detailed part of this. It happens in in all the places you can imagine in a jail. Does God do work in a jail? Yes, there's the right answer. Okay, let me just show you the jail. That jail where they was, it still exists there in Philippi. I have a picture of that jail. There it is. So if you go into that jail, and I've been there, um, it's dark. And you, you have to go di- where they were was in the the Bible tells you the inner innermost part of that jail, the worst part of the jail. So when that girl is set free, that had made so much money for the slave owners, it set off a chain reaction. And that chain reaction is her, her owners became very angry that now their moneymaker isn't going to make any money. So money drives a lot of stuff. Just mark that down. So they went and got the magistrates. They got the authorities and, and told them. listen, to what these men did. Anti Roman kinds of things they did, they, they and, and the magistrates, to appease them, had them stripped, uh, brutally flogged, and thrown into a prison. And, and, and when they got into that prison, that jailer who was there was a cruel man. He put them in the worst part of the prison. He did nothing about their wounds. He gave them no food, nothing to help comfort them, and it even says put them in stocks. Those aren't stocks like you see in the early part of our country. These stocks were specially designed to stretch the limbs into such a place. He was a torturer. So there they were. What would you be doing? Think about it. I've written this down. Most of us wouldn't have wanted to have been there in that situation. And they wouldn't have been there had they not obeyed God's call to go to Europe rather than Asia. They wouldn't have been there had they not valued women as being made in God's image and, and then spoken to them and taught them in an obscure place. They wouldn't have been in that prison themselves had they not sacrificed to go back day after day after day to teach the new believers at that place of prayer. Then they wouldn't have been there had they not, through the power of Jesus, set that young girl free from oppression. Being in that prison was a divine appointment. Do you see it? So often, when you go into a place where you don't want to be, that's not outside God's control. God needs some light to walk into that place, into that darkness. So in that place that they would never have chosen to have been, God sent to them a man they would never have imagined would be open to the gospel. So so God only asked them to be uh, faithful in that awful place. And so they were. I think I'd be grousing. God, what did did I hear you wrong? You see what they were doing. They were singing songs in the night. Singing songs in the night. Uh, Praying, giving witness to God's salvation. And then this story happens that we saw so powerfully depicted. The earthquake uh, shook. It broke their chains. It opened the prison doors. But then set in the problem for the jailer. Because in, in a Roman jail like this, if prisoners escaped, the jailer would be killed. Roman citizens Paul and Silas knew this. So here the chains were off and off of all the other prisoners. What would they do? This man had tortured them. We're going to leave and abandon him to his fate. It shows me. Hadn't Jesus already changed their hearts to give them compassion for their torturer? That's what he should do for all of us. And somehow they found favor for all the other prisoners to keep them there too. So here is this man just as he's about to kill himself rather than being killed and probably tortured before he was killed, about ready to do it. And they say, no, we're all still here couldn't believe it he falls down in front of these two jewish men and there you can understand what he says what do i have to do to be saved saved in every way saved from the physical danger of being killed saved from the danger that his eternal soul was in and they told him you've got to believe on the lord jesus christ and you're going to be saved in your household too and um just like Acts 15, that's what you have to do. It's what all of us have to do. And he believed, and his life was changed. He brought him over to the household, and the people's lives were changed. And if you want to see how Jesus is supposed to change a life, this man who had ignored them before and their torture and their bleeding and in their pain, look in verse 32. So they spoke the Lord, word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house, and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. And immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Now, even that is a miracle. To have Jewish men dining with a Roman soldier. But that's what he does. He brings God, God brings people together. So here, as I read about, the, you know, what I think of when I think of the Roman jailer, uh, Roman, um, jailer? I, I think if we made a movie about him, he, he'd be played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I, Chris, I think Tim looked a lot like Arnold uh, today. Don't you see, a uh, strong soldier? I can win this thing. I can terminate you. Uh, I've never had, never pretend you have a weakness or a need. That, that's that's what we had there. And yet all human beings come to places where we say, this is outside of my control. I need to be rescued. And the gospel speaks into that need. Gospel speaks into that need. So I I hope my point is clear. It's the same gospel. This gospel that was preached in the first century in a very different culture is the same gospel that reached my life and has changed me. It's the same gospel we preach here week by week by week. And it's one that I pray is transforming your life. And when God brings people across your path, uh, it, it has the power to fill in the holes that are there and there. It has the power to set them free. It has the power to give them a whole new life. So what do I want you to take home? These things. Number one, I want you to deeply believe that God is at work in your world I I want you to know that God isn't out there. He's here. And He's ready to come right into your life. So here's what I want to tell you. When you find yourself in a place you would never have chosen like these men or in a situation that you never would have wanted like these men, you can know that God is not distant. He is still ready to do a work in that place and in that situation both in you And through you. Will you mark that down? Number two. So that when you leave. He's not just at work in your life. Each person. That comes across your path. Has a need to meet God. All human beings have been made for God. We're human beings. Made in God's image. And God loves people. He wants to enter in. And to set people free. No matter what their background may be. And that happens when all people. Do what was nailed down there in Acts 15. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then he enters in. It's true. I just want to tell you it's true. He enters in. Number three, that this gospel coming through Jesus is sufficient to meet every human need. But but that same gospel, do you see how it speaks differently into different people's lives? And so today, even if everything I've said has had nothing to do with where you are, Wherever you are, the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. And for any, anything that, that comes into your life through any person God brings into your life. And so your calling, if you become a follower of Jesus, is to be a witness to that. To Jesus, both in your word and in your action. So I've thought of people here, you may have wanted to live in a different place. And God has put you here. You may want to be in one profession and for some reason that thing was closed. And you find yourself doing something very, very different. Or even as some of us earlier this summer, you may have wanted to go to Thailand doing mission, as a mission team wanted to go and that door was closed. Do you think God doesn't know about that? Do you recognize that they could never have imagined what would happen... The rest of this story is this, that that church that was founded there in Philippi became the, one of the most vibrant and the most supportive church of the Apostle Paul. Do you think he could have possibly thought that might have happened? I often think about that church. Can you imagine a small group that had Lydia and a slave girl and the Roman jailer? I think it's a lot like us. But what united them was Jesus and the good news that had come to them through Jesus and that they'd found mercy through Jesus and being knit together. That unlikely group, the butterfly effect, set in and the gospel has made it to the rest of the world. I'll leave you with this one thought. I want you to know then that every encounter in your life may be a divine appointment. And every appointment becomes an opportunity. An opportunity to bring glory to God. So let's do it in His name. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, speak to us today. I pray for some who may be here who, like Lydia, uh, the young girl, and the Roman jailer, don't know you. I don't know what may have brought people to church. But I'm sure everybody who comes to church is really wondering if you are real. Father, we know you are. And I've tried to declare that. Through your word. So I pray, Father, that today there may be some people here who will give their lives to Jesus, just like these three people did. For those of us who've been made alive to you, Father, and have experienced your presence in our lives, you send us like you sent Paul and Silas out into the world. And so we are going to go and maybe to places we would never have chosen. Give us a contentment to be there, to sing songs even in the night. Give us courage. Give us courage, Father, to speak of you. To stop and love people and to tell them about you. Father, whatever you want to do in our lives, I pray you'll do it. Uh, To your glory. And in the name of Jesus. Amen.